I've been thinking about the, the things that we can be aware of just this week especially, just fall coming with everything happening. I've been asking the Lord to help me, help me be concerned about the things that He's concerned about. Being aware of His thoughts more than my thoughts. <clears throat> it's proven to be a great challenge this week, I'll be honest. <laughs> a lot happening. But I do know that His thoughts are more important than my thoughts. And I know that I'd like to have my thoughts be engaged with his thoughts rather than me trying to pull him into my thoughts. Does that make sense? <clears throat> I've got a lot of thoughts and some of those are sourced in places that they just need to be turned off. They're not, you know, there's a lot of stuff that comes at us, but uh, there is, he has a lot of thoughts towards us. Do you know that? He has, I was reading about that this morning. I'm really thankful that he has a lot of thoughts and those thoughts that he has towards us are really the only thing that really matters <laughs> with what's going on. I've got a lot of thoughts about what's happening. Those don't, those don't matter so much. It says here, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. As we know, we have a Father that knows, knows us because He actually happened to make us. It's good to remember that as well. Then I saw my substance, yet being unperfect, <clears throat> and still in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them, how precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. That's a lot. If you've ever just been in a sandbox, that's a lot. Much less just stood on the beach. Pick up just a handful and do a little estimating and it goes... I mean, it just... I didn't write this. They're more than the sands. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. The point being, you know, no matter what is happening, you know, the Lord is at work. The Lord is thinking thoughts towards us. The Lord is work, has an intention that he's working towards that is happening. And thank God that it's happening. We're not responsible to make it happen. We're responsible to be engaged with what's happening. We're responsible to say, Lord, I just noticed this moment, this last half an hour, whatever, that I've just been run by my thoughts. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts for me today? What, are you, what do you have in store for me? Uh, those are the things that are there. They're more in number than the sands of the sea. And they have an intention for us, each one of us. Uh, it's, it's fine to think about the job that's happening. It's fine to think about what's coming. You know, you can, you can look forward to something that's exciting and coming, and that might make you weak. You might look forward to some part of fall that has to happen before the snow, and you might just get stressed out. You know, your soul just can be run with, run with emotions. If you engage with the thoughts of God, Lord, okay, thank you, Lord. I want to engage with your purposes today. I want to engage with your thoughts. Those are, they are good, and they are always good. We have a Father that has intentions towards us that are always good. And they're above our ways. And they're above our thoughts. And thank you, Lord, for that. Amen? Amen. So, let's gather with excitement. I keep thinking about Wesley. He's out there. He's hunting. You know, this is... I just keep thinking about how excited he is to be out hunting. I love it. But, you know, there, there is... Uh, if you think about the most exciting thing, you know, we have... 
whatever it is for you, not everybody's excited about hunting season, but you know, that thing you're looking forward to, if you consider what God is looking forward to having a people that are actually submitted to Him, now there's a thought. That's, that's grander than whatever, you know, the takeover of Germany or anything else. That is a grand thought. And, uh, and the fact is that you and me are part of that plan. That's exciting. Amen? Let's gather.
you may not find yourself in a prison in your mind, but it's a good song to of declaration. And if you have your spiritual devices, I posted the words. They're pretty simple on on uh, the Whitestone page. I'll read them just briefly so that you can. They're really not very long, but starts in prisoners' chains with bleeding stripes. Paul and Silas prayed that night, and in their pain began to sing. Their chains were loosed, and they were free. They sang, "I bless your name." The second verse is. Some midnight hour, if you should find you're in a prison in your mind, sing out in praise, defy the chains, and they will fall in Jesus' name. Pretty simple. In prisoners'
morning. Good to be back. But lately I've been thinking about One of the conventions that went, we went to in Peru, after finishing up that convention, there was another group of people, brethren, that invited us to come to another group. And uh, when we got there to the meeting place, they have rented this place, find out that there were six blocks where we have been meeting before. Oh my. <laughs> six blocks, but might as well be in different continents because these folks we just finished being with will not come six blocks to meet with the other ones and these folks over here will not go six blocks to meet with the others. And I think, I, I, I thought uh, that I seen that movie before in Mexico and in the States too. Different actors, different actresses, the same movie. <laughs> and how do we get from the gospel to that? How do we get from reading uh, 1 Corinthians 13 to that? How do we get from Jesus' prayer in John 17, that we might be one to that. And before we are quick to judge them, actually when I saw that, I thought that God was judging me. When I was 19, I think, or 18, I can't remember, uh, I had not been living a godly life. But there was this neighbor of mine that worked for Campus Crusade for Christ. And she and my sister had been after me for a good while. And I did not listen to them. But you know, God knows. Another thing that I've been thinking about is that God knows exactly where do, where do I go. He knew where I was. He knew what I was doing. And it didn't surprise him. It didn't seem to bother him at all. He had a plan and he, the plan was going to work out eventually. And so that eventually came to one day when she asked me, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that group, but they have this little booklet, it's called The Four Spiritual Laws. She invited me and told me that I was living an ungodly life, but there was a, a door an exit. And so she read this clause, and at the end of that little booklet, it asks you if you want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. And I said yes. Nothing happened, but we call that the born-again experience. We call that the, the walking down the aisle and praying the sinner's prayer, and then opening up your heart to Jesus. But what I was, I've been thinking lately, and that is in a, I'm sure a lot of the children could 
recite this uh, verse, John 3, 16. John 3, 16, everybody knows this verse. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Before that, in the first chapter, you read, Beautiful scriptures at the beginning of this first chapter. And he said, um, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So that day, when I opened up my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, what happened is I came into my heart, but that wasn't the end of it. That was just the beginning of it. And so a door was opened up to me. I didn't know, I did not know it. And I'm still trying to find it out. But a, a door was opened to me to live a different life than I was living before. That didn't mean necessarily to quit drinking, to quit smoking, to quit uh, running around. It did include it, but that was not the main point. The main point was a new life. A new life that, uh, what, what I just related to you about these brethren and before we judge them, we should look at ourselves, but the new life that will not be quenched by things like that. A new life that will not separate us from each other. We just sang a beautiful song about some brethren that were living under an oppressive regime. They were living under a, a regime that, will, that had uh, the authority to take their lives away. It was just a normal thing. They had that power. And they live under the regime and that was not the real problem to them. The real problem is that was to live in the new life. And so throughout the years, everything has come against us trying to persuade us not to live that new life. And so we declare ourselves to be Christians with the, we, we remember when we, were, when we were born again. We remember when we asked the Lord to come into our hearts. And so the enemy is satisfied with that as long as we don't live in that life. So you can be a Christian. You can uh, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can join a community. You can commit yourself for 30 years to a community and every day fulfill the the rules and regulations, the order, and yet not live that life. Not go into that life. And so the invitation at the very beginning is not just to quit doing the things we used to do. It's not just to join a move. 
to join a church, to join a community, but rather to enjoy that life that is open up to us. That, that is the gospel. The invitation to come into a totally different life. Into a life that is beyond this life. That is beyond anything this world can offer us. Well, we, we just came uh, from uh, two underdeveloped countries. They don't enjoy the things we enjoy here in this country. It's hard to describe, unless you've been there, how those people live. It's not their fault. They're just under a government that is not looking out for themselves. They're looking out for themselves, not for the people. Yet they face the same problem that you and I face in a totally different country. To allow this life that is in us. And that's the greatest irony, the greatest tragedy that we have this life in us. Right here in us. From the moment we asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into our heart. That life came into us and that life is there. And not to live that life. That's the greatest problem. So that, so that these brethren cannot come six blocks and meet with these other brethren. But how many times we've done the same thing? We cannot walk across the aisle to talk to my brother. We cannot go from this house to the other house and to let the life flow. Monday, uh, what's Monday? Uh, no, Wednesday. Wednesday morning, and I thank the Lord for that, but uh, my, I wasn't flying till the evening, and this brother invited me out for breakfast for menudo, which uh, some of you might not like that, but anyway, it's a custom in, in the northern area of Mexico, it's, it's breakfast time. Breakfast time is menudo, which is tripe, and hominy, and, and hot, sauce. Anyway, unless you have lived there, you, you, you wouldn't enjoy it. But it's a morning breakfast business. And so he asked me, and there are places that's all they sell. That's all they sell. Restaurants, that, that's the only thing they offer. So we went to this place. He, he said it was very good. Very good. So we went there, had breakfast and had fellowship. But then, unknowing to me, and yet there was something also that was in my heart. We went to visit a lot of brethren that used to be with us, but they don't fellowship with us any longer. Some of them don't even go to church. So we went to visit the first brother, went to visit the second brother, the third brother, the fifth brother. So I thought I was going to be late for my flight uh, because all the time we spent visiting these fellows. You know what? I saw the Lord there. Every time we went to meet one, they were so surprised to see me. They were so surprised to see him, and they will embrace. And I don't know, I, I, Brother David doesn't like hugs, and he got plenty of them down in Peru. <laughs> but, 
But there's a difference when they hug you because that's the culture, because that's what you do. And there's a difference when you are with a brother that you know, you are separated from him, not because of your own doings, not because of his own doings, but whatever, it happens. And then you come together and you embrace and you embrace and Christ is there. Yeah. And then we went to see the other ones and they opened the door and they said, what? You come in to visit us? Yes, we are. Because when I hugged them, I knew the Lord was there. One of them cried and he said, he said, the greatest, one of my memories is one time, and I don't even remember that. He said, when you hugged me and you cried because what I was doing. And so the life has to flow. The life has to flow. There was the invitation, there was the original invitation when we come to the Lord is to live a different life, a life that have not yet seen. Otherwise, I remember Brother Sam very clearly that he said that if we don't come up with a better government than one the governments of this earth have, we have not offer anything, we have failed, miserably failed. Also remember Paul's warning when he said, isn't there anybody there that can fix this problem? Why are you going to court? Why are you you appealing to a lesser authority when you have in the midst of you the authority, the life to solve those problems? And so he said, don't go there. Isn't there anybody there? And I think the question is still here. Is there anybody there that can come up, come up to let that life flow? And that, the answer is there. The answer is not in a new regulation. The answer is not in a new order. The answer is in that life. And so I, I kept thinking this these brethren cannot walk six blocks over there and meet with those folks. They can't. So the life uh, is, not, uh, is not able to, to bridge the gap. Yet, I've seen the same thing in me. The inability to allow the life to bridge a gap between me and my brother. I think David mentioned about, we were talking, he was talking to this lady, and she could have gone, probably she could have gone for hours, telling us all the things that were wrong with this other brother. And so by doing that to justify why they were not together. Now I'm sure a lot of the things she was telling us were true. I'm sure those things did happen, but We just sang a song that when you're in a prison, when you're in a prison, the only thing that can get you out of there is that life that at one point you receive. But, and I've been there too. All I can think of is all the things they've done to me. I can tell you, I won't, but I can tell you the phrases that some people have spoken to me and they're still there bothering me. But I got a hope. Allow this life to flow from my heart. It doesn't it say from, 
from the inside will flow what? Rivers of living waters, rivers of life. And instead of rivers of life, like what Brother David was sharing with you, this lady was rivers of bitterness, rivers of resentment. How can you remember all of those things? She was talking about years, years back there, years. And she had all the items, all the instances of what this fellow had done. Isn't that a prison? But, but before we judge, I will have to say that I've been there too. I've been in the same prison. I know what it is to be eaten up by resentment. I've tasted it. Nobody can tell me how I taste. I have tasted it myself. My only hope is that allow this life that was invited to, to flow. And it says the darkness could not put it away. They're unable to do so. If you are in that life, I don't care what darkness comes our way, just think about those disciples and just think about what we just sang. They're under an oppressive regime. They're under a, a, a threat. Uh, that they are not allowed to do what they do it, and they don't care. There were only 11 of them to start with. There were 12 by one walk away. There were 11 of them and then 120 and who knows how many more. But that's a very small number. Yet, see what they did. Or rather, see what God did through them. So, we got the same hope. We got in good company. We can go the same way. And so, anyway, it was a good trip. Learned a lot of things, but uh, I just remember when you, in your prayer time, remember the brethren in Mexico. They're going through a very difficult time. The, well, whatever reason, things are real bad there. Uh, when we landed in El Paso, Texas, we were warned by the brethren not to cross. And also, they gave Brother David the chance to just don't want to come. That's okay with us. We'll understand. Brother David was persuaded to go ahead and go, and so we went. And, uh, but when I came out, when I came out, uh, after we went to visit all these brethren, we went to very poor neighborhoods to see some of them. Very poor neighborhoods. I don't know what words to use to convince You and especially those that did not go through the beginning of this fellowship of this community to convince you how blessed you are. There are no words to, to explain to you how blessed you are. Mention to Brother David because we didn't have any any hot water over there. 
And it was chilly, wasn't it? It was chilly. I mean, it was in, it was in the, in the 50s, was it 50s? Yeah. And, and so I told Brother David that in the winter time, when it's so cold outside and when you go after work, go to the house, I always thank the Lord for hot water. Because I see 20 below outside, go inside the house, it's so nice, and then go into the shower, I thought, wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But a lot of more things you should be thankful for. So we went to these very poor neighborhoods to, to look for these brethren. I, I was very sad to see one of them we went to look for him at his workplace and to see where he works. And I thought, wow, that's all his future. That's all he got. And yet I'm rich. Both at the farm in Mexico and here. I mean, we got everything, we don't need anything. And I'm looking at him there in this tiny little place where he works. And so we went to this other neighborhood and suddenly a roadblock. And the machine guns, the bags of sand, the soldiers. I thought, oh, wow. I have told Brother David, there are no soldiers. We haven't seen any soldiers when they are, brother. <laughs> but they are in the poor neighborhoods. And so I thought, well, okay. I've gone through that before, so we'll see what happens. And, uh, and so the brethren live under that uh, that kind of thing. I was also coming uh, from the farm into the city by bus, and we were stopped by the army also. And we have to, everybody out of the bus. So we're all out of the bus, and then everybody is being checked, and then, okay, the bags, wait, where's your bag? Right there, okay, let me, let me see it. And I don't know, you ever seen a soldier opening up your bag and going through everything, and you cannot do anything about it. His machine gun is hanging from his shoulder, and he's pulling out your things. And, and uh, I have bought some peanuts because the area produces a lot of peanuts where the farm is, and they do a wonderful job with the peanuts. Uh, and they cover them with all kinds of things. And so I bought all these peanuts for Amy and her friends. I got all these peanuts, but also some of the children at the farm had given me these cups. And so I was carefully putting everything together nicely and so they would not break and then everything was so beautiful. And, and these soldiers said, open it up. I thought, wow, it took me so long to make sure they don't break when, when I carry them, and this fellow just that doesn't care. Not only that, you can sense the authority. It's not really an authority, it's just what they are. And you look around and you see all the other fellows with the machine guns, you're not about to tell him, hey, please be careful with my with my peanuts. <laughs> so pray for them. Because that's not really the problem. 
The problem is the life. Am I going to allow that life to flow? Or am I going to live my own life? And the main problem is we can do it right here. Right here in the middle of the community, you and I can live our own life and not been able to walk six blocks to meet your own brother. You know, at what point they were all together? One, well, this and I, funny story is that uh, there's this group there, they call themselves the true move of God. So I got news for you, you are not the true move of God. <laughs> it's over there, the true move of God. So we can be part of the true move of God and it will not, do not allow the life to flow. We only a name, it's only a name. They do have a label, but we only are in the true move of God when we let the life lead us. And so, but I, there's hope in the book of Hosea. It's a beautiful scripture there that I've been thinking about all these all this, uh, weeks. You all know this too. Therefore, chapter 2, 14 verse, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Isn't that great? Some of the brethren here know a lot about baits. And the baits are to allure the animals, you allure them. But there's no greater trapper than the Lord himself. He knows how to throw us. He knows how to allure us. Brother Sam, I believe, wrote that beautiful song, Draw Me, Draw Me. And so he, he, said, he said, I will allure her. and bring her into the wilderness. So he's going to, he has the perfect text, test for us. So when we're alert and we go into that test, let us be hopeful. Let us not complain. Let us not, let us not back off from it because he said, I will take her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. Or the version says, I will speak to her heart. So that's the place where he's going to speak to us, to our hearts, in the greatest difficulty, in the most terrible tragedy. That's where he's going to speak his word to us. He said, uh, and speak comfortably unto her, and I will, I will give her her vineyards from thence 
and the value acre for a Doro Hope. You know what the value acre was? That was a terrible thing that happened. Somebody desired things that he didn't need, things that he was not supposed to have, and he, he, he wanted them. I took them away, hide them, caused great problems to the people. And here the scripture is telling us that that was a door of hope. He, he will make that a door of hope so that uh, even when we go wrong, there's a door of hope there. That's what we just read. He said, and the value of acre for a door of hope, and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Some people say that means, I'm not quite sure about that, that means that when you first came into the Lord, you were quite happy, quite excited. I'm not sure that was my case or not, but uh, there, was, there was a change, there was a hope, there was something new. Uh, but now I can see it. Now I can see that the, uh, the door was wide open for me to be able to abandon where I was to come into a new life. And so all those hard things, all those wrong things, they were changed into a hope. And so that's where we are. There's hope. There's hopes that we can enter into that life. And I'm sure that we enter into that uh, often. but. The invitation is to go there and don't come out anymore. Thank you. Good to be here again. Thank you, Brother Evil. called upon to speak. I think it was the first convention that we were at and um, it was sort of a spontaneous um, request. I don't think Abel's not one of those guys that self-promotes. I guess you know that. (laughs) Um, But he got up and he, he preached a beautiful line that uh, really the issue is, is the life working in our lives? And um, that really is a central issue. We spend a lot, we spend a lot of energy and money and time uh, building uh, an uh, environment and atmosphere for us to, to grow in. And uh, we appreciate all that God has provided for sure. But we also know what a what a profound waste it is if the life of God isn't working in us, you know, actually in our lives. The only, you know, Jesus was a great threat to this world. And that's why they killed him. That's why the princes of the world, it says, if they had known, you know, they were part of a, you know, universal chess game. And uh, if they had known... Jesus was alluring them, or, or the Father was alluring them. <laughs> Go ahead, your move. Ah, we're, we're, we're going to win. 
And um, if they had known, they wouldn't have done that, it says. And, and um, the reason they crucified him, the, the, the reason that was motivated is because Jesus introduced a whole other source of life. He didn't introduce a whole other religion because the world adjusts to all religions. Um, we've even been adjusted to. I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of people who think we're weird, and actually I would tend to agree, and a lot of you do too. We are a little weird. Um, but um, the world adjusts to a lot of fringe things. But when the source of life changes, that's when it's a problem. And that's really what God is doing. He's changing the source of life. And if you're in a war about that, then you are really in the right spot. Because there is warfare over that. There's resistance to it. Um, so God help us. Um, to say, Lord, I, all the stuff I do, I'm okay with, Lord, but honestly, I really need your life to be working here through me. And you see other, you see your own life still. And um, that can be discouraging. Um, but God is faithful to continue to work with us. So you get up and you say, Lord, I need your life again today. I need it working in me. So God help us not to quit on that. Because uh, God is committed. He's very committed to this purpose. Bringing forth his life in, in his people. Mm -hmm.